and I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. <laughs> uh, welcome back to My Alchemical Bromance. This is Eric Arneson, and today we have with us Jeremy Crow, the infamous internet Luciferian, founder of the Flambeau Noir uh, Left Hand Path Occult Conference, and a member of the band Pleasure the Priestess. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Eric. How's it going? It's going good. So tell us a little bit about uh, the... Flambeau Noir Conference. It's taking place in Portland, which is where uh, our podcast happens. Well, I mean, most of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The recording half. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I'm just sort of curious, like, what is it about? Yeah, well, Flambeau Noir is essentially a left-hand path conference for um, occultists, artists, um, of all sectarian lines basically across every single branch of the left-hand path and beyond. Uh, it's not just for people who are on the left-hand path, but it's kind of focused on that. And I wanted to create something that was like the various different conferences that individual esoteric orders will hold, mm-hmm. um, with they have uh, members only of their organization can go and they have like lectures and, you know, rituals and things like that. Uh, But I wanted to have this where people from different traditions can come together and cross pollinate and uh, basically get some of the, the luminaries of the occult world together in the same room from various different branches and having you know, hopefully sparking some collaborations and things like that. Well, that sounds pretty cool. And so that's essentially what it is. The first one was back in 2012. Oh, and uh, was that, and that was in Canada? Yeah, the first one was in Toronto, Canada. And, and, um, and then the next one after that was, uh, in 2014 in Indianapolis, Indiana. So are you doing them pretty much every two years? Basically, yeah. It's, it's been, been pretty much like every couple of years. Great. Roughly. So, and, and then we had another one last year in um, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. The capital of Canada itself, actually. And, um, that was really cool. Um, all of them have been amazing, actually. <laughs> That's great. Um, once in a lifetime kinds of experiences, actually, you know, even though there's several conferences, each one is so unique and, and special. It's really cool. And so what are the dates for the conference in Portland? The one coming up this year, um, is April 27th to the 29th. This year, 2018, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's yeah, Portland, Oregon, um, 2018 uh, Flambeau Noir. Great. Okay, and then uh, and tickets are on sale now, right? Like, do you? Uh, and so I'll, I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes so that people can go buy those tickets and uh, and come and see your conference. It sounds like a pretty cool time. So I yeah, I appreciate that. It's at the uh, shop dot jeremy crow dot com 
Okay, great. Cool. So I feel, uh, you know, I've been studying the occult for a long time and I feel a l- that there are always gaps in your knowledge. I mean, as, as you know, it's a broad subject. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that I can really define what the left-hand path is. Uh, I watched one of your videos about it and it kind of made sense. Um, but then I... I don't know that I understand it enough to sort of tell people. And I was wondering, can you maybe give us like, is there also a right-hand path? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So these, you know, to be honest, I don't even really like the terms left-hand path and right-hand path, <laughs> Yeah, but it's what's, it's what's used these days. You know, it's what's being used by most people. So out of, you know, necessity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it gives kind of a false impression that it's completely opposite. And what most people think of when they hear right-hand path, left-hand path, and um, when they know that left-hand path is usually something like Satanist or Luciferian, mm-hmm. um, they think right-hand path means like being a saint and then uh, and being only working with the light and shunning the darkness. Mm. And oftentimes people who do practice the right-hand path, you do often hear them even saying things like, oh, I only work with the light and, you know, um, I don't deal with the darkness. I don't get involved with any of that at all. And they will get angry at people if they suggest it or mm-hmm. warn people against it and things like that. Um Although I don't think that that's the proper way to engage the right-hand path. It's a very common thing you'll hear. So would then would the right-hand path be like uh, light workers? I've, I've seen this th- term thrown about a lot in like new age circles and people on Twitter who, who uh, seem to wear a lot of like flowy dresses and um, uh, avoid GMOs. Um, so kind of, yeah. it, it kind of is. Okay. Um, a better way to say it would be, I guess, that on the right-hand path, generally, it's a more collectivist kind of view, mm-hmm. and you don't have the same level of um, independent, unique kind of... Um, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but... Um, on the right-hand path, you often have this desire to dissolve the individual self into a greater unity, mm-hmm. um, into like a uh, an eternal bliss of, of you know, like oneness with the all in, or something. Oneness with the all, oneness with God, oneness with you know, in a state of nirvana or you know, something along those lines. And it often involves the dissolving of the self mm-hmm. into this greater, larger, collective kind of um, thing. Nature, the universe, sometimes it's even said. Uh-huh. Um, Brahman, I think, is another one. Um, and uh, Or Brahma. Mm-hmm. And so the left-hand path... Um, a lot of people automatically will think, oh, well, it's the opposite of the right-hand path, so it must mean people who are only interested in the darkness and um, shun the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's that's not the case either. And I find that actually both of those stereotypes are are 
not the proper way to engage with either the right-hand path or the left-hand path. That would be an incomplete way of dealing with it. On the right-hand path, you have people that, you know, talk about the dark night of the soul and having to deal with the darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the right-hand path. So when people say that they shun the darkness, I think that they're practicing an incomplete path. But that's a right-hand path version of an incomplete path, I, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so the- On the left-hand path, I find that there's more... You do sometimes get people who are extremists and say, oh, no, I only work with darkness and that's it and I shun the light. And, you know, you do... But I find that those people are more like poser type or <laughs> maybe even deranged, you know? Right, right. Um, and it's very few. Most left-hand path people fully acknowledge the light and, and, you know, value works of light. Like they, they have human compassion and they, there's people that they care about. And, it, you know, oftentimes there's a stereotype of the left-hand path that it's just complete selfishness, you know, and even like to the point where, you know, you throw your own grandmother under the bus or whatever, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, not not in practice, you know, people who are real people and <laughs> that's not even part of the left. You're not supposed to do that in, as a left-hand path. There is a, a principle of rational self-interest, uh, but, you know, it, there, you do have con- human connection with people and you don't want to hurt the people that you care about, you know? Right, right. And it doesn't make any sense, you know? It's, it's just a kind of a silly stereotype. Um, but what I find that the left-hand path is that people do f- embrace the darkness, but they also will, you know, embrace the light. So they'll courageously explore the darkness and they'll learn about it and learn to accept the reality that is not always so pretty about, about reality itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's a lot of different things we can talk about it. Often the left-hand path involves um, developing your your own uniqueness and accentuating that, elevating that, rather than dissolving it into something uh, greater. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you try and forge it into something greater that is also kind of its own force in the universe, its own unique, you know, creative force. Right. That that's what you try and become. Uh, and that's when people talk about becoming godlike or, um, you know, self-deification is part of that as well. It's also being your own highest authority in your own, in your own universe, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Not taking direction from an external source, not bowing down to another, you know, entity and submission, you know, unless you're doing it intentionally for a specific purpose, you know, <laughs> right. Um, if it's your will, right. Yeah. But, uh, generally, um, the left-hand path, they talk about self-deification or autotheism, meaning that you are your own highest God in that sense. And you don't worship some external entity. So you were you were mentioning earlier that you thought that the um, the division between the right hand path and left hand path was maybe not as useful as you once considered it, and I'm wondering 
um, did you did you spend a lot of time sort of like heavily identifying with the left hand path and like really sort of diving into it? And then like the more you got into it, the more you were like, wait a minute, is does this line make a lot of sense still, or or did you find that that maybe some of the ultimate goals that you were coming across in the left hand path are the same thing that the right hand path was was doing, or what what do you think is the is there a do you do you still feel like that that dividing line has as much validity and if not like where is the common ground or the common ground that you've found since then yeah that's a great question um well i've spent a lot of time in the right hand path which one other way of of thinking of it is the 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 social norms and the institutions that are um that you're raised with Uh uh-huh and these would be like the large churches and things like that, right? They're just what kind of you're expected to be part of, or it's considered normal. Um, being part of that whole collective sense of that is, is right-hand path. And the left-hand path is being an outsider in a sense, being your own, making up your own code of conduct and living by that. Um, mm-hmm. That's your, what your sense of integrity means is to be coherent with your own code of honor. Um, Does that I- indicate in the end, the left-hand path ultimately comes back to that society. If you look at say the, uh, the, the journey of the hero. Mm-hmm. The journey of the hero essentially is that left-hand path where you become an outsider to the society mm-hmm. and then you go on some journey and uh, in the darkness, in the unknown, and then you uh, conquer essentially or you um, achieve some sort of victory and then you return back and enrich that society that you initially came out of with the fruits of, of whatever you came, you know, or whatever you gained in that journey. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's kind of a, a, you know, most of the people will stay in that safe kind of collective. And that is a good strategy overall, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, for most people to be in that, you know, in that collective, because that's a kind of a safe haven. But then you do need people to go out into the darkness and explore and come back and enrich the society with it. Often when they come back, though, they're, they're not greeted for, in a friendly way because they'll dis- they're disrupting that social order. <laughs> and because they've... <laughs> with they've, new uh, information. And they've acquired a sort and of you'll difference. See that. They've, they've acquired an otherness at that point, so they aren't quite... They aren't the same as they were when they left, which means that they don't fit in nicely when they return. Absolutely. And what they bring back with them is a disruption. Mm-hmm. And it could it could potentially disrupt the whole society. And that's scary to the people who uh, believe in the collective. And, and because it served them well, it's gotten them to survive this, you know, over generations and generations, right? Yeah. So any disruption of that is often seen as a threat. And you see this in some of the stories like in Prometheus, where Zeus, the the head of the social order, you know, the, the head of the, the, the powers that be, right? Mm-hmm. The Olympian gods, 
um, when Prometheus upset the social order by giving humanity the control of fire. Right. Um, he punished Prometheus for doing that. And you see the same thing with the serpent in Eden. Mm-hmm. In Genesis, in the Genesis myth. Right. Um, where who comes the serpent's knowledge. Yeah. Right. And it's disruptive. And he's punished for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you see this as well, too, in, in human societies where, say, for example, what, like Copernicus and Galileo, and it, like and the kinds of reaction that people got when, you know, they said the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so I'm, I'm, so the, the way that you described the, the left-hand path though, in this sort of like um, outcast descent into the underworld sort of thing, or this descent into darkness, um, it almost sounds like the same path that almost every occultist goes on. Um, yeah. So which, that is, there's a lot, that's like a lot of the same, if you're doing it right, I think on the right-hand path or the left-hand path, it's going to look a lot alike. Yeah. The differentiation, I guess, is the end goal, I suppose. Um, the end goal of, of the right-hand path would be to return to Eden, to that uh, womb, in a sense, almost. Mm-hmm. And and dissolve into that, you know, state of, of a static union with, with the source. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas on the left-hand path, the goal would be to go out and become an, a power in the world in your own right, in a sense, mm-hmm. or a force of nature in your own, in your own right, or to create your own, domain you know pandemonium like in paradise law mm-hmm. but at the same time uh, there are also sort of like certain traditions where the two paths almost coexist uh it, it almost makes you think of like a lurianic kabbalah where the kabbalist in um in going through his training learns to separate himself from the um sort of uh divine will or the or the fate that 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 just drives him forward. So he basically operates his own will or operates in, under his own um, destiny. He makes his own destiny. But then while he's doing that, his goal is also to help creation finish creating so that he can in the end return to the divine source along with everything else or, you know, where the, mm-hmm. where the, the halfway enlightenment point, which, which he will never finish is the one where he's like, like the Bodhisattva. Yeah, yeah. Where you know he's like, oh, I have to stay here and help put creation together because it's been shattered. But then at the end, you know, he he'll never finish by the time he dies. <laughs> <laughs> but the ultimate goal is for everybody to help do this to the point where creation is perfect again, uh, restoring like the divine unity. Is that like a tikkun? I think. Uh, the process? Yeah, I think, oh, geez, what do they call the pro- Yeah, I think it is tikkun, isn't it? So there's tsimtsum, which is the compression, and then tikkun is the shattering. Or something. I don't remember. 
my Hebrew is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did study a little bit of the Lurianic Kabbalah stuff uh, like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> years and years, like oh, more than a decade <laughs> yeah, but I th- ago. I think you see it in other Renaissance traditions too. So like uh, Giordano Bruno has this concept of like divine love where his view is that I guess sort of the common idea at the time was that everything was this interlocking, uh, you know, connection of influences and forces and divine will that was pouring through the, the, you know, the harmony of the spheres that everything was already locked into place by, um, by this, by the, you know, astrological forces. And that, uh, you know, Bruno believed that, through understanding these forces and manipulating them, you could break free of that divine, you know, you, you would basically gain true individuality or true, uh, force of will for yourself. Like you would, you would break free of the effects of destiny to be your own person. (laughs) So it's, it's funny. Like I, uh, when you were describing that, it really sounds like the sort of thing that, that magic and the occult is kind of about almost always, uh, and maybe sometimes it's a stopping point, or maybe sometimes both goals are present, or the goals sort of feed each other somehow. Does that? Yeah, I well, I find that um, th- there is just subtleties. Mm-hmm. Really, it seems like it's more in the subtleties is the difference, and that I, that's one of the reasons that I feel like the left hand path and right hand path terms are bad terms to use because they imply such a strict kind of polar dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do feel like, uh, ultimately, you know, you know, there are certain paths that do kind of almost cross the lines between them. And I feel like, uh, being a Bodhisattva, taking the Bodhisattva vow in, in like the Tibetan Buddhist tradition is, is one of those. It's more kind of, coming at it from the right side, but it's almost like dipping into the left. And it's like, uh, Thelema mm-hmm. is, is another one that I find kind of, kind of almost crosses the line. Like, Oh yeah. Officially, officially a lot of, you know, like I believe Crowley explicitly said that Thelema was supposed to be a right hand path, but I find that a lot of people engage with it as a left-hand path. Well, because one of the, you know, like the concept of true will in Thelema is that, like, it is your goal to find your true will. But then they're also saying that if you have found your true will, you'll know because it won't interfere with anybody else's true will. So it's almost as if, like, true will might be finding your own individuality and your own path, but but that just makes you the perfect puzzle piece because everybody else is doing the same thing. <laughs> Or something. Yeah, well, it's like Dharma in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, like you're you're born to do this thing. Yeah, and I think, um, hmm, in one sense, in one sense, that's understanding the universe's will for you, mm-hmm. rather than you kind of deciding upon uh, what your will for the universe is (laughs) yeah or maybe when you understand that both of those are the same yeah because (laughs) because as a product of the universe your actions are the universe's actions to begin with right like that's something that you might not be able to 
Yeah, I don't know. That's hard to. It reminds me of the end of the Invisibles, you know, where the they discover that the Invisible College and the Outer Church are the exact same organization, and it just you just view <laughs> you just view and fall in love with the side that makes the most sense to you, but they both lead to the same place. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, of it's about the journey mm-hmm. more sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I had another thought. So would, uh, I don't know how to put this. So like if the left-hand path are the, are the practitioners who sort of um, are forced into the role of the other or the outsider, or they have to like descend into the underworld in order to bring back knowledge and all this sort of stuff, uh, would the equivalent on the right-hand side be like priests in churches who, who, I don't know, uh, are totally accepted by society and bring like, you know, divine influence into society through, uh, socially sanctioned actions. Yeah, essentially I would say that's a good way of saying it. Hmm. Um, the other thing too, though, is like monks is a good way of, of kind of looking at. Oh yeah. Cause they're separated the from way society. That yeah, because they separate themselves from society and they abstain mm-hmm. from uh, indulging in, in normal you social know, things. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things of of the material world. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of it's rejection of the material world in a sense. And often you hear like in like in Buddhism and. And in Christianity and things like that, you'll you'll hear a lot of things that are supposed to dissolve the ego, mm-hmm. like remove it. Yeah, and that's supposed to create like a more pure channel to the ground of being, or or something like that. The or God, God, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually reading um, Teresa of Avila right now, um, mm. and she kind of talks about that sort of experience too. Where so that would be a that would be a removal from society and even you know maybe in a sense sort of sometimes like the underworld uh, experience like the dark night of the soul sort of thing that you mentioned earlier, but the goal would be unity with the divine instead of separation from the divine. Or se- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of saying it. Okay, um, and I do feel that a lot of people do think of it in the sense of separation when they're on the left-hand path. And that's been described by a lot of different teachers as well, including Crowley, mm-hmm. where he described the, the Black Brothers um, kind of trying to separate themselves off into their own kind of universe or their own heaven or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to think about, I guess. Um, so... Then maybe you can, so you, you end up being, at these conferences, you end up being surrounded with a lot of left-hand path practitioners or people who identify as left-hand mm-hmm. path practitioners. Do you find that they gravitate towards uh, specific systems or specific, uh, like, initiatory things or religions or something like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, just before we move on, uh, I did want to say that I feel that Luciferianism is, is kind of like the crossover tradition on the left-hand path that kind of almost tips into the right-hand path. 
because there is that sense of trying to leave the world a better place than you found it, leaving your mark on the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, passing the torch, um, which is kind of what flambeau noir means is the the black torch yeah. and it's the carrier, the vehicle of the black flame, which is kind of the spark of, of individuality in a sense and the creativeness of, of the individual, the, the godlike nature of an individual. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways of expressing what the black flame means, but um, a lot of different left-hand path people have their own take on it and consider it an important concept. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. And so that Luciferianism, I do kind of feel is almost one of those crossover ones because there is that, concern for the collective Mm -hmm. um, and that desire to have an influence in the world and not just kind of looking out for your own, um, you know, welfare, either in the material while you're here, which is in some left-hand path traditions are, are a lot more atheistic in the sense that they feel like they want to, they have certain principles about, the reality of, of life and um, not denying themselves for the sake of some spiritual pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have other ones that um, are more spiritual, but their main focus is essentially on building the body of light or you know, of an immortal vehicle for their consciousness or their individuality to survive the death of the, of the physical body. Oh, wait, really? That's interesting. How, yeah. and that's a Luciferian practice or a... It's very common on the left-hand path. Um, within the left-hand path, the, the, the more spiritual one. Uh-huh. Uh, so these would include Luciferianism, uh, generally uh, involved uh, involved in more of the occult type practices and that's one of the, the goals that are is very common in Luciferianism. Um and setting philosophy and practice mm-hmm. like as as expressed or collectively kind of collected together through the temple of set um would be the core of that. Um and they they talk about that kind of thing as well. So what? Uh, all right. So so you talked about the Temple of Set, and you've talked about Luciferianism. Um, what? That's in Taoism too, yeah. by the way. <laughs> and it's in um, Buddhism, and it's in Gnosticism. Heck, even so what, what's that's what's the resurrection body of Christ? Right. What? Right. The oh man, you're what's the perfect ashlar? In, in Freemasonry. Well, the perfect you know? actual in Freemasonry, you're, you're, you're getting stuck into a temple eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what is, what is the Temple of Solomon, you know? Right, it's like the perfection of the self. Right. right. It's, the more, it's the more permanent vehicle for divinity, yeah. rather than the tent that it used to be in, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a more temporary dwelling, which is the physical body, right? Okay. 
then the Ark of the Covenant then gets moved into the Holy of Holies of the Temple of Solomon. Mm-hmm. The, the divine spirit moves out of the temporary vessel, which is the tent, and moves into the more permanent structure. Which is that's the temple. the body of life. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's the immortal, the immortal body, the resurrection body of Christ, the mortal body in... Uh, Taoism, the rainbow body, mm-hmm. the diamond body. <laughs> oh yeah. Hmm. So okay. Well, do how do you know if it works? The Merkava. Oh, the Merkava. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so this is, if this is a practice that the Luciferian uh, that some Luciferians are doing, like, is this the same sort of thing that produced you know the so-called uh, secret chiefs or hidden masters that Blavatsky talked yeah. to? It's like. It's like real life. Yeah, so that it would be an ascended master would be another would be a person who had achieved that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess even you know I was talking to some people uh, recently who were uh, working with grimoire stuff, and one of them was like, "I heard somebody say that all of these spirits and angels and demons that you're contacting used to be people." I'm like I have no idea, but but maybe even that <laughs> might be uh, similar. You know, I don't know if you read um, yeah, Ashin Chasan's uh, Gateways Through. Oh crap! The ginormous blue book, uh, Gateways Through Light and uh-huh. Shadow. No, I don't believe so. <laughs> Who's the author again? Uh, Ashin Chasan. He's one of the sort of like modern uh, grimoire people, the the grimoire purist types. Um, it's an incredible, no. it's an incredible book, and he does these like Solomonic uh, summonings, where it's like a he's the he's the conjurer or summoner, and then he has a, a seer that he works with, and they summon spirits into crystals and stuff, and they have visions with them, and um, and he contacts like all, and the whole book is just like records of the contacts that he's had with probably like thirty or forty different spirits, um. And some of them are actually like, yeah, I used to be a person and this is how I became a spirit. And they tell stories about like their origins and stuff, um, which m- you might be interested in, in reading that. It's it's uh, it's kind of fascinating, but it makes me. Yeah, I guess. I Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I guess I never. I hadn't really put that together. Like I'd heard of the rainbow body and the diamond body and uh, the body of light, but I hadn't really put that together that it was like preparing a vehicle for basically the afterlife. Yeah. Because the thing is now, uh, if you don't do that, Mm -hmm. then after you die, your soul decomposes and goes off and to make other bunch of various different other souls. Yeah. Hmm. The second death. Right. You know? Yeah. How, <laughs> but how do you... If you're able to... Yeah, it's alchemy. That's what that's what you have to do to that. Huh. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm talking like as if I know what happens after you die. <laughs> <laughs> but in the theory of this, you know, the, this uh, occult concept, um, at least, you know, how I've put it together, because I've done a lot of different research and I've done... I put together things from different traditions that I've studied and practiced and that made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of, it may not be what you might find in other books or you might find something very similar here and something kind of similar in another book. <laughs> Everybody kind of has their own 
different take on it, but it's, this is generally, I think, kind of what it is. And I think you'll hear people say little bits and pieces here, but I, I think I've been able to put a lot of them together. Um, so with alchemy, mm-hmm. the idea is you basically you break down something like, say, um, a bushel of grapes. Uh-huh. And you break it down through fermentation. Okay. And that takes, what it is, is you have those bushel of grapes represent the element of earth, which is made up of various different quantities and qualities of the three principal elements of water, fire, and air, mm-hmm. a.k.a. salt, sulfur, mercury. Mm-hmm. So it breaks it down into into those component parts, but it's just the chaos of it. And so then you have to use techniques to separate out the salt, to separate out the sulfur, and separate out the mercury, mm-hmm. um, and then purify each individually and then recombine them in, without the impurities in it, right. in their pure state. And then when those recombine together, they form such a solid bond that it, it can't be broken down or not very easily. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you can... So if you're doing it to, to grapes, you would basically, you could... Um, you could make wine, mm-hmm. you'd separate out the sediment and the liquid, and then you would distill the liquid off to uh, get a couple different products there you would have, and then you would, you know, take all of those different components and you'd separate each and you'd recombine them. Right, right. And then uh, that, you would have a quintessence. Mm-hmm. And so you see, it forms such a strong bond. Those three principal elements, uh, they come together and they form such a strong bond that it's no longer really earth anymore, which is the fourth element. Right. It, it's something else it's... entirely now. It's, it's such a new quality to it that it's like a perfected earth. It's like the new Jerusalem. Right. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's spirits. And that's what the element that most people call spirit. Yeah. I don't like to call it that because I feel like it's not spirit. Mm-hmm. I think spirit is more like mercury or air. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and but the thing, is, but I call it quintessence. Okay. Which is the fifth element. Right. Which right. is kind of like the fourth element, which is earth, mm-hmm. but which is a derivative element of the other three. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so you you take whatever it is, you break it down, separate out the parts, purify each, recombine them, and that's how you create a new unity of the combined parts that are so harmoniously working together that they won't break down. So then in the creation of the body of light, this process is internal to the the individual, the practitioner. Right. Okay. So that's internal alchemy. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's, and, and the, and the lucid, so 
when you, so when you say Luciferian, like you, there are Luciferian organizations, right? Like you're a part of one of them, or you founded one, didn't you? Yeah, I've, I'm I'm the head of a couple of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and founded a, founded a couple as well. <laughs> and do they tend to be initiatory? They generally tend to be initiatory. Yeah. And is this? Uh, and are they? Are they? Uh, uh, like magic. Although one of them that I helped found uh, was more philosophical. Mm. So the Greater Church of Lucifer, which is now uh, called the Assembly of Light Bearers, mm-hmm. that's a philosophical organization. Okay. And it's more almost like a a way for people to find out about the philosophy of Luciferianism and and learn about what that is and to see whether it makes sense for them, um, that kind of thing. It also provides uh, local community Mm -hmm. um, and opportunities for people to develop themselves, like through public speaking uh, opportunities where people, anybody basically can give a prepared lecture rather than one preacher giving a sermon every single time you meet right yeah (laughs) it's more like the original gnostic kind of idea where the person who has something to say will come up and say it (laughs) Uh, although it's usually more you know uh prepared a prepared talk and then what about uh so what about the initiatory groups what what do those end up being like how do you um how would you compare them to, I don't know, like a Golden Dawn type system or something of that nature? Um, they generally tend to be the, the same. The same? The same kind of. So sort of like... Same basic thing. Like a uh, lodge-based initiatory system with like lodge magic type stuff? Yeah. Okay. Although I've been trying to innovate new ways of doing that that I feel are more genuinely left hand path mm-hmm. um like more open source type uh, now there is a an organization a, a left hand path organization out there called the temple of ascending flame uh-huh and what they're doing is a lot more open source type stuff um you can, you can basically they just have projects and you can uh get involved in those projects just by downloading the the source code, (laughs) essentially. And the rituals, and you can engage in those rituals uh, like that. And you don't have to be a member. You don't have to pledge, like, you know, to be part of something and protect the secrets and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of open source material that you can work with. And I think that that's really cool what they're doing. And I'm trying to do some similar things as well. Um, especially with the Ziggurat of Venki is an esoteric order that I've been developing. Uh huh. And is and it based on like Sumerian symbolism and stuff? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's supposed to be really, in a sense, it's supposed to be a left-hand path alternative to Freemasonry. Um, oh. In a sense. Uh huh. So it kind of has that builder arc to it, um, but it's more explicitly left-hand path. And it's kind of like the building of the tower of Babel in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that went well. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> there's a uh, there's a Masonic tradition involving the building of the Tower of Babel also, um, which is kind of fascinating. Where the where it has a, it's almost a, a parallel to the building of Solomon um, legend, only it ends uh, uh, badly for the building uh, and a little better mm-hmm. and a little better for the architect. But in in that legend, the architect is Phalig, who is one of the uh, grandsons of Noah, and he ends up um, running away to Prussia and spending his life in um, in. Uh, Oh geez, what do you call it when you're super forgive? Uh, 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 oh, uh, uh, repentance. Like he ha- he lives a repentant life, trying to make up for, you know, the sins that led him to try to build the Tower of Babel, <laughs> and ends up like scribing all of his mystical secrets on these tablets that are then buried beneath the earth with him in his crypt. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. like um, that get discovered later, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's totally like part of it is absolutely, you know, I mean, this, this legend wasn't written until probably like the 1780s or 1790s. So it's totally like a Christian Rosenkreutz ripoff in some ways, but um, it's still pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I did hear that there was some sort of, uh, I haven't gone through that ritual, but um, I have heard that there was one like that in the scottish rite it's the uh, 21st degree the the noahite or prussian knight um and i saw you're in the rite of memphis miserum which probably has the same degree but most of the legend most of the the phalic legend has been stripped out of the um mainstream scottish rite version unfortunately oh okay yeah but yeah, if you have wonder why, because uh, it's long and it doesn't it it's a uh, <coughs> well, excuse me the the degree itself is a little patchworky so the the Phalig legend doesn't really blend well with the rest of the degree so I think they just dropped it they're like oh this is a this is a non sequitur honestly with the mainstream Scottish right. Um, has a lot of, I'm not entirely certain who's in charge of editing and maintaining the rituals, but they don't really keep them the same over time. So they, there's a lot of editing happens and so not all of the edits make sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I only went to the third degree master Mason oh, okay. in any of the uh, groups that I was part of, which was Memphis Miserium and AFHR. Um, What's AF? American Federation. American oh. Federation of Human Rights. Oh, yeah. Co- which is the English translation of Le Droit Humain. Yeah, yeah. We've, which is the French. We've got some uh, Le Droit Humain um, people in Portland, actually. Oh, yeah. So I was a part of a, a schismatic group off of Le Droit Humain. <laughs> The largest, the largest schism from them. <laughs> uh, you know, I have heard so many stories of of uh, schismatic Ludwakimane groups that I cannot keep them straight. <laughs> oh yeah, well, this one was the biggest, and I think it still is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the main headquarters are in Larkspur, Colorado. Okay, yeah, which I've spent a lot of time at. Yeah, and it's beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, well, Colorado itself is beautiful. I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've been there a bunch of times, and it's just amazing. Um, I'm not active in that mm-hmm. anymore. The 
So, um, the drawing name or yeah. ASHR, I should say. So I've got, uh, so let's talk about Flambeau Noir a little bit more. Um, so you have a lot of presenters. It looks like maybe like a dozen or so. Um, which of them are you the mo- are you the most excited about seeing? Like, are are any of these um, uh, sort of like regular presenters who have come back year after year, or is it mostly an all new lineup? Or like, what's the what's t- tell us some highlights that you're looking forward to? Yeah, it's uh, I'm well, I'm super excited about the whole thing for sure because every single person there, I'm excited to see. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm excited to see a bunch of the people that are going to be coming, just ticket holders. Yeah, like a bunch of the people that are are coming and not presenting, but just being there, are people that I was looking forward to seeing too. But um, in terms of uh, the lineup, I think there's only me and Michael Ford that have given presentations at previous events. Okay, and and the the entire rest of the lineup, I think, is. Is brand new, if, if I remember correctly. Are most of them people who have attended before, or are they just brand new to the thing entirely? Most of them are brand new to the thing entirely. That's exciting. How do you find them, then? Uh, well, um, my co-host, Season Cole, uh-huh. uh, she actually found some of them. Uh, people that she really respected and knew or knew about and thought was very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we approached some of those people that she had suggested and, um, as well, uh, you know, there are just people that I had wanted to come for a long time, but hadn't been able to, uh, for various reasons. Um, well, Paul Frederick, mm-hmm. um, he's the host of a podcast called Damonosophy 2.0. Oh, I think I saw Indeed. that on the uh, on the Flambeau Noir website. Oh, it's right yeah, there. I'm so staring right at it. <laughs> I think it's on the main flambeaunoir.org uh-huh. uh, main page. I think yeah. <laughs> it's one of the one of his recent ones where he interviewed Stephen actually about Flambeau Noir. So that was a cool one. Yeah, that is cool. Um, and then there's also uh, music featured, right? Like you, your band is going to be playing, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So that we're calling that uh, part of the event, Darkness Audible. Uh huh. Which is a play on the whole darkness visible thing. Right, right. Okay, that'll be pretty cool. And is that um, is that all part? Of, so you have to have a ticket to see the the music stuff too. Yeah, so the music stuff will be uh, for ticket holders as well. Although, if there there may be, um, I can't remember what what the price was that we had said, but there was a, a much much discounted price mm-hmm. um, for just going to the music part. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was room, like. Right, right. In the, in the space, basically. And it basically just door. Like, no, you can't buy tickets ahead of time. But if, if there's space, then you could get a ticket out of the door for not very much money at all. Cool. Yeah, this looks like a really fun event. I might try to go. If there are, are the, it's, you guys are only selling 105 tickets. Yeah. Wow. And does yeah. it, it must sell out every, every time, doesn't it? Um, not every time, no, uh-huh. uh, but, uh, last one, it was 
really it was full <laughs> the, the, uh, we couldn't really get any more people could have maybe squeeze a few more people but mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah it's i'm looking i hopefully it sells out um that would be amazing and i think that it will and i think that there's going to be some people that wish that they had bought their ticket early <laughs> <laughs> do you um and you're going to be presenting you're, you're you yourself yeah, I'll be giving a presentation as well. Um, Do you know what... One of the ones that I'm excited about, another one that I'm excited about is uh, Venus Satanus. Venus Satan. that's a cool name. <laughs> yeah, so she was really big on YouTube, uh, like really early on in the, in the whole YouTube kind of uh-huh. phenomenon. And I used to watch her videos there, and we ended up you know, getting in touch and becoming online friends. And we've just, it's been like, I don't know how many years, years and years that we've known each other online, Mm -hmm. but I've never had a chance to hang out with her in person yet. So that'll be really cool. That's awesome. So what's, uh, do you, have you uh, decided what your presentation is going to be on yet? Yeah. I'm going to explore the topic of death. (laughs) (laughs) Death. <laughs> oh, so you're going to talk about yeah, some of the stuff we, we were talking about, aren't you? Yeah, probably. A few of the things will come up. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, I hope you didn't. Uh, hope you didn't let out any uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff sounds really fascinating. I think we'll all still. Uh, I don't think that we could have a spoiler for death. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Spoiler, you're gonna, gonna your body's gonna spoil. Impressive to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. What if you're a saint? Uh, you know, I mean, I feel like eventually even those will go bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, you know, the saints who, who just don't spoil, but they like smell like roses? Yeah, uh, that, yeah exactly. That, that's a good trick. <laughs> um, there's some sort of uh, technology, right? Like some sort of embalming technology that the Vatican has, or maybe you just—they're just, not sharing. Yeah, or you just get embalmed by God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the theory, though, mm-hmm. is that the the Vatican has an embalming technique, or maybe that they they may or may not still have that technique. But mm-hmm. apparently, there's some sort of embalming technique that they figured out or had proprietary. Uh, yeah, they were using. I feel like I was reading an article about a a fairly recent um, case of somebody dying and not decomposing and smelling of roses. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but I think it was somebody in the 20th century. So I bet the if the Vatican ha- does have some secret technique, they probably still have it. <laughs> oh, cool! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you hear about similar things in uh, Tibetan Buddhism as well. Oh yeah, like th- um, who was the there's that great article that was going around a while back about the uh, the monk who'd been like meditating for 30 years, and you're like, uh, he's dead, isn't he? And they're like, no, he's alive. Well, yeah, that one, that one was a weird one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find any. Um, I couldn't find any Western news sources saying anything about it. It was just like one website in India or something, and I was kind of like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think they moved his body to a freezer too. So he's meditating and super cold. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I'm sure yeah. he's really he's probably gotten really good at meditating. I think the thing was more like a property dispute or something like uh-huh. um he had family that that some certain property would 
revert back to in his death. Oh. And the the monastery didn't want to give it up or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, so that's (laughs) definitely... I swear that was what it was. It was some sort of property dispute. Well, I guess the the lesson there is that if you're going to be practicing that sort of stuff, just make sure that you have a living will. Like, you know, if I meditate... Uh, for more than five years in one sitting, then yeah. then execute the will. Just do it. I'm not going to need that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way. That's yeah, that's a good point. I'll have to, I'll have to add that to my list for my uh, for my will. I gotta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the part of the actual tradition is that. Um, if you die, mm-hmm. you know, ideally you're in a, in a meditation at the time and oh. ideally you're in certain, mm-hmm. there's certain positions that they, that they favor that they say, okay, if you can die in this position, it's better, you know, yeah. or if not, then, then this position is the next best, you know, kind of thing. But, um, they say that, uh, it's a sign of achievement, um, that you achieved a, a lot of progress along the path if when you die a like rainbow colored lights come off of the body and the actual physical mass of your corpse shrinks whoa because they say what happens is that you're actually kind of bringing some of that some of your physical body with you mm-hmm. uh, you're you're ascending you're kind of raising it up and there's like a fictionalized uh, version of that in uh, what's that the the Celestine prophecy books. Oh, I've they eventually they get they those ones. You know they mm-hmm. they stole that concept for the for the storyline where at some point the guy like ascends and while he's still alive or something and basically he, his vibrations become so high mm-hmm. that he becomes almost like less physical or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have not read any of those books. Um, but that's, uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> oh yeah. I read them like way back in the day. I thought they were pretty funny. <laughs> and entertaining. So, um, you know, I hope that uh, you know if you've got free time when you're in Portland, you, we should we should meet up and have a beer, some coffee, or something. There's a there's a thriving Absolutely. there's a thriving occult community here, um, and it's bizarre because it's fairly large. And you know, you'll like meet somebody, and they're like, "Oh, I'm a Wiccan. Do you know blah blah blah?" And they'll they can name like a hundred people that you've never met who are all like hardcore occultists. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it happens to me all the time because most of the occultists I know I have met through Freemasonry in Portland. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a there's a lot to explore in this city if you're into that kind of stuff, including a lot of. I, I'm certain there's a lot of people who would identify as left hand path or be in tune with the left hand path kind of stuff too. Um, so, yeah, if you if you get a chance when you're here, or complete path. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, I think the first time I ever even heard the Left Hand Path mentioned was um, from a, 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 a 
a heavy metal musician, a metal musician in Portland who was telling me about it. And I was like, I've never heard of this. What is this stuff? And then I had another friend who was like, I don't walk the left-hand path or the right-hand path. I walk the gray path in the middle. And I'm like, cool. I never thought to categorize myself in that way. <laughs> but it's... Uh, well, yeah, I feel like uh, the, the Luciferianism, I kind of feel like it, it could be considered almost like you know, a lot of times I said there is no middle path, but, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like maybe there is kind of with, with Luciferianism because there is that um, desire to affect the collective, mm-hmm. to influence it in a way that empowers people. Like, you, you're not just trying to empower yourself. You want to share that knowledge, that empowering knowledge with others so that they can empower themselves as well. Yeah, it, and I guess... Um one of the things that it makes me think of is there's always these, there are always these dichotomies that pop up. Uh, and you know, like the human mind is built to see dichotomies. We want there to be, yeah. we want there to be like an on and an off or a left and a right or an up and a down. Like we want, we want those <laughs> yeah. opposites to exist. And in the occult, you see it all the time too. So you'll have like, you know, high magic and low magic, or you'll have, um, I don't know, angels and demons or, you know, light and dark or, uh, or white magic and black magic. And there's always this like need to categorize things into one, into, into a, this or a, that. And um, I almost wonder if sometimes that's sort of a trap, you know, that, that kind of like need to see a dichotomy is, is something that keeps us from, from crossing over and experiencing both sides or keeps us from sort of like experiencing even the fullness of ourselves in a way. Yeah, I I agree absolutely, and I feel that there is already kind of a a, a big divide within ourselves mm-hmm. between the conscious and the subconscious, or the actually it's more like a, the lunar and the solar aspects of consciousness in a sense. Yeah, or um, or maybe even. Yeah, or like the waking and the dreaming world, right? Uh, yeah. It, and then you, you see some of the, you know, you look at like the way that like Plato or the Kabbalists um, sort of divided up the levels of existence and they didn't really do it in twos. They had sort of a more subtle, multi-layered, um, you know, cosmology, which I really like. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, you know... <laughs> Sure. When I by the time I figure all this stuff out, I'll be uh, cruising away in my body of light. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that reminds me. Uh, you were asking about some of the more common practices on the last campaign. Yeah. I find that ceremonial magic is something that a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that. <clears throat> chaos magic is extremely popular in the left hand path. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Very, very popular. Uh, it's it's ubiquitous on the left-hand path. Basically, if you're on the left-hand path, almost everybody does chaos magic. Huh. I think that that might be true on the right-hand path, too. I mean, chaos magic is super prevalent amongst... Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a really common way for people to get involved in magic in general. Yeah, it's very approachable, mm-hmm. right? It's very, you know... Yeah, and you don't have to deal with the 
concept that like the supernatural might exist or that like there are things beyond uh you know the material world that you got to deal with you know because the 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 intro like the introductory chaos magic paradigm is so psychological yeah it doesn't require you to be able to uh flick on that suspension of disbelief kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and yeah and in i guess in a way it doesn't even require you to have like visualization skills it's totally like training wheels magic right yeah that's interesting yeah (laughs) what about uh what about like meditation or like what sort of um i mean do they tend to sort of fit their ceremonial magic into a particular paradigm is it mostly kind of like golden dawn or aa type stuff um well i find that uh it's a it's a lot more eclectic Mm -hmm. um there's obviously a a huge golden dawn influence on all ceremonial magic anyways yeah uh but uh you know i find that that people will do all kinds of different things you'll find a lot of if you do searches online i'm sure you can find about a million modified golden dawn rituals that have like demon names in them or you know kings of hell or something like that oh huh cool which is you know kind of hacky hackney to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know it's something it's a way to kind of get into it if you're brand new and you can't find good ceremonies you know yeah yeah that's true Uh, you'll also get a lot more pagany stuff too like there's the whole sabbatic witchcraft uh tradition sabbatic witchcraft, and that involves yeah so that's more like almost like a luciferian traditional satanic witchcraft in a sense ah oh excuse me um wait so like maybe griffin said i just clicked on his name on your website and his he's listed as a heretical witchcraft teacher um maybe uh you know what that's one of the presenters that season suggested and i'm not as familiar with his work although i'm i'm definitely excited about getting to know more about mm-hmm. what what he what he's all about um through the lecture and, and such and getting to talk to him cool yeah there's a th- this is a obviously a really like chumley chum chumley is he andrew chumley oh andrew chumley oh wait how do i know that name he wrote some books <laughs> that were um, very popular in the underground. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look him up and see. Oh, Trumble. Oh, Chum- Andrew Chumbley. Uh, yeah, I might have read some of his books. <clears throat> Cultus- Michael Howard? Cultus Sabatai. That's where I've heard of him. Um, yeah. Michael Howard. I don't know if I know that name, but yeah, I'll have to look that up too. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, you know, like I said, coming into this, I, I felt. Pretty. Madeline Montalban. That's a really cool name. <laughs> uh, she actually had an order called the Order of the Morning Star. Okay. Yeah, you should send me some of these names and maybe um, some intro reading material. I can put it all in the show notes and uh, some folks can look it up. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, we've we've got a pretty good 
amount of recording done, maybe we should, uh, why don't we wrap it up? You want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, you can find me at my website, jeremypro.com. I'm also on YouTube. If you go to ziggurataofnkey.org, it'll redirect to my YouTube channel. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jeremy Crow, <laughs> all the various different platforms. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like some of the newer stuff like Steemit and Minds. I haven't looked at um, Minds yet, but Steemit is pretty cool. I've been enjoying that a lot. And it's still yeah. so new that there's a lot of, like there's hardly any people writing about the occult on there. So there's a, there's a, there's a niche waiting to be filled if there are any people out there who want to write about their particular brand of the occult steam it could totally use some more of that going on yeah big time now the other just the other day i clicked on the trending tag for magic with a k uh-huh. m-a-g-i-c-k yeah and there were in the last seven days there had been less than a dozen posts made that had used that tag oh that's yeah I know. We need more. Yeah, I remember like when yeah, I when I got on there, nobody low. had posted anything about Freemasonry, and I was like, "Come on, it's cryptocurrency. Where are all the friggin' conspiracy nets?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least there's people that are talking about conspiracies about it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot there of be. space there to <laughs> check out. <laughs> well, cool. All right, and then yeah. uh, and then your conference is. Flambeau Noir. Flambeaunoir.org. Yep, and nobody will be able to spell that, so I'll totally put that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the French listeners will be able to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> our, one, our one French listeners are probably already on the yeah. website. <laughs> he's, gone to, he's gone to flambeaunoir.fr, though, and he's probably confused. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and that conference is taking place in Portland, Oregon at the end of April. So if yeah. if you're listening to this, and you can buy tickets yeah. at shop.jeremycrow.com. All right. Awesome. And uh, the, the tickets are an early bird uh, discount until the end of March. Okay. April 1st, they go up. Great. I will definitely get this episode out uh, so that our listeners have at least 12 hours to go get the last of the early bird tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, um, you know, Jeremy, it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking some time out to do this, and thanks for being patient through all of our technical troubles that we had. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah. And likewise, thank you for being patient. Well, you know, I understand you live in Canada, and they don't have real internet up there, or something. I'm not sure. It's the, the caribou <laughs> yeah, interfere. Yeah, we just got TV like a couple years ago. <laughs> You have to wait for like the the Mounties bring you know bringing you the uh, internet cables and stuff. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, with the sled dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you very much, and um, I will definitely uh, I'll let you know when. Yeah, ho- hopefully I'll get to meet you when you come to Portland. Yeah, it would be great if we got a chance to hang out. Yeah, for sure. All right. Even even for a beer. Or My Alchemical Bromance is sponsored by Miskatonic Books. Miskatonic Books is an online bookstore that focuses on rare, limited edition, and custom-made books of the highest quality. They specialize in books on the occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Hermeticism, and other topics of interest to you, our listeners. 
check them out on the web at miskatonicbooks.com. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not